Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. The block shot, no basket. The final score, DePaul 66, Seton Hall 65. Demons win! Demons go to the second round. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score. The Demons are indeed going to the second round, and we are delighted to welcome in our dear friend, our our inspiration, the uh, the uh, what do you call him? The the air under our wings. The wind beneath it? our wings. The wind. Yes. I'm sorry, buddy. You might not know this, Zach, but you're my hero. And uh, Zach Sadman joins us now on the. Uh, on the score hotline brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hey, Zach, how are you, bud? Good morning, men. March Madness officially underway at Madison Square Garden. That was a wild one last night. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, David said it, and I, I think it's true. You know, the program needs a feel good. You know, you need something to put on the front of the program next year, and that's a nice win for DePaul. You you feel good that they had that moment after such a rough end to the season. Yeah, to put things into perspective, it had been 49 days since DePaul last won a game oh. prior to that comeback last night. And they lost the final 12 games of the regular season. I mean, things were spiraling out of control in large part because DePaul has had to navigate through injuries to nearly all of their top players throughout the season. So that's been an issue. But they were finally healthy last night, down by four, 17 seconds to go. They get a layup. Then with seven seconds left, they get a big steal, flip the ball back, take a three-point shot, miss the three, but get fouled on the three-point attempt. And then uh, one of their best players, Umoja Gibson, their leading scorer, goes to the line, knocks down all three free throws, and they take a one-point lead with 3.9 seconds to go. Seton Hall drives straight to the basket against full-court pressure. At the last second, Nick Ongenda, who missed 25 games, recovering from wrist surgery, their big center, one of the top shot blockers in the country, smacks the ball away at the buzzer. It looked like a clean block, but initially the officials say goaltending, and the reason that they call goaltending is he blocked the shot from behind and it smacked off the backboard. Usually, uh, to be to be safe, the officials will call goaltending in that situation because you can't review goaltending, but you can with under two minutes to go if there is a goaltending call. So they go to the replay monitor. DePaul's thinking, I, we, we lost this game, right? They go to the replay monitor. They reverse the call. Clean block. DePaul wins. Just your, your average Big East tournament game. <laughs> you were euphoric, Zach. You called it well, and I was happy for you as well because the Cubs can wait another day to before you head on out there. And you, you This is going to be a, a good moment tonight, and, and I hope that things go well against Xavier. Last time – you know, they, they have beaten Xavier before, but that was a different time. But as you point out, it's been a long 
stretch between victories. And I just wonder this, in, in the second season under, under Tony Stubblefield, how do you describe progress? Or was this clearly a step backward, as the record indicates? Because I know those closest to the program have a different perspective and view maybe than people outside who pay attention to DePaul only so often. Well, you are what your record says you are, right? So at, at the end of the day, it, it, it would be excuse-making if you start talking about it. But the reality is, for a team that yesterday won just its, its 10th game of the season, it was a disappointing year. But this is the magic of March during tournament play. You have new life. DePaul took advantage of that last night. I, I would say that they had to navigate through injuries to some significant players all season long. And rarely were they able to practice with a full roster. Rarely this season were they able to play games with a full roster, which is what made yesterday so gratifying for the program. So really tough to tell. But in this new landscape, David, of college basketball with the transfer portal, you can quickly flip things around. And when Tony Stubblefield was hired from Oregon a couple of years ago, he is known as one of the best recruiters in the country, and he's recruiting to a tough place. You know, you're trying to rebuild a, a culture, rebuild a program. But I, I think that recruiting background helps, especially now with the transfer portal. So they're going to try and, uh, and, and move forward. They had a very old team this year because of all the transfers they brought in, but because of the injuries that never really materialized. And, and back to Xavier, you know, you did say it was another time. I'll say this. You know, they split the season series with Xavier, one of the best teams in the country. When Xavier was ranked eighth in the country back in January, the Demons upset them at Wintrust Arena. Then they lost big. Uh, they were an intra team. They lost big in Cincinnati in the rematch. So we'll see what happens tonight. But you can't say that they don't have a chance when they've already beaten this Musketeer team this year. And Xavier is missing one of their best players in forward, Zach Fremantle, out with foot surgery. Zach, um, I saw that the Big East gave Coach of the Year to Shaka Smart, and obviously uh, he's done a great job at Marquette, and they look like a really dangerous team. Are they the best team that you've seen? How would you rate the teams that you've seen that are probably going to be in the tournament this year? I, th I think the top five Big East teams, basically all the ranked ones, Creighton, are as good as the top teams in the country this year, including Marquette. Uh, my sleeper is Villanova, because for most of the season, uh, the Wildcats were missing their best player, Justin Moore, who won a championship with them during the, the Jay Wright era. But last year in the Elite Eight, he tore his Achilles, missed most of this season. He's back now. So even though you look at Villanova's record, and it isn't impressive, this is a very different team now in March than it was uh, during the early part of the season when Moore was injured. So they could be as good as any Big East team. In my opinion, just based on the teams that DePaul has faced this season, and I got to see every Big East team twice, the best team in the conference is Connecticut. UConn is on a, a different level. When DePaul last played them a week ago in Hartford, uh, they jumped out to a huge lead, had a 27 to nothing run in the first half against the Blue Demons. They are a force defensively. Danny Hurley's got them cooking on all cylinders. They have two of the best scorers in the Big East, down low at Sinogo, one of the best power forwards in the country. And, and then they have uh, a sharpshooter by the name of Jordan Hawkins, who's reminiscent of all those great shooters over the years that have come out of UConn. He's the next in line. They are a very dangerous squad.
Zach, I know they're in the ACC now, but Syracuse's Jim Beheim retiring feels like a Big East story, and certainly you being the pride <laughs> of Syracuse, I'm sure has some thoughts and a reaction to what happened yesterday when he somewhat announced his retirement as only Jim Beheim can, but his legacy is interesting because he's got over a thousand victories and all the all the success, and yet a lot of people, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but I respect what he's accomplished. What was your reaction to the yesterday's news? You know, I brought it up during the broadcast because Bayheim remains the all-time winningest coach in Big East history. When you think of the Big East, you, you can't write that history without Bayheim and Syracuse, even though they're now in the ACC. When you talk about Syracuse basketball, the reason you do is because of Jim Bayheim. It's as simple as that. And they had great players prior to Jim Beheim, uh his arrival as a coach. You know, Beheim was backcourt mates with Dave Bing, the Hall of Famer, who went on to star for the Detroit Pistons. But when Beheim became the coach, he made Syracuse into a national power. And I think there were a lot of people that were frustrated over the last couple of years because it, at Syracuse, the goal is championship or bust. And, and rightfully so. But that hasn't been the case the last couple of years. But I think that the people that think you can just find a replacement, and I have great respect for Red Autry, Adrian Autry, the new head coach. He was a, a point guard at Syracuse, a star guard uh, under Bayheim, and he is a, a top recruiter in the country. But to think that you can just seamlessly move off a legend like Bayheim and have someone else take over the program and all of a sudden continue that glory it's, it's going to be really tough. You, you've seen it with Villanova. They've had some issues here in year one under Kyle Neptune. You know, John, John Shire has gone through his ups and downs in year number one at Duke. And uh, while North Carolina uh, twice has tried to replace legends, it hasn't always gone smoothly. And, and I think it takes a little bit of time. But, uh, man, what, what, what Beheim was able to do in his 47 years as head coach, win a national championship, routinely have Syracuse in the mix, for uh, titles, very few guys could have done what he was able to do, taking that program to the next level. And when you think of Syracuse athletics, even football, it's because of, of the great job that Jim Beheim has done there with the basketball team. I have great respect for what he accomplished in nearly 50 years as the head coach of the Orange. Yeah, and I mean, you, you think about you know the way the Big East kind of became this prominent conference. He he was right in the middle of it, no doubt about it. You know, John Thompson, Luke Karnasek. I'm just thinking about, the, you know, the traditional big powers that came out of that conference and how that, that kind of built that conference into what it was in college basketball and, and kind of really one of the first super conferences. Yeah, back in 1979 with the Big East Four, Syracuse was one of the charter teams. And you talked about it. It was a conference of great coaches just absolute legends Karnaseka and his sweaters Bayheim with uh, with the glasses and the, the funky sport coats getting into uh, the, the back and forth with uh, John Thompson and the big towel Roby Massimino and what he was able to do at Villanova Rick Pitino early on in his career with Providence Jim Calhoun and he took UConn to the next level as a program just uh, an amazing conference and it was sad when they broke up but I, I think uh, you know, the the landscape of, of college sports as it is, 
the Big East, I think, did the best it could, considering they don't have football powers in the conference. And for the most part, uh, out of the 11 teams, most of them are urban Catholic schools. So you're on an even footing. And as you've seen, uh, the basketball is still great in the Big East. Let's stick with coaching for a moment, Zach. Patrick Ewing is possibly on the way out at Georgetown. There's been some speculation about Mike Bray, who's a D.C. area guy, being in the mix there just the rumor mill at this point, but is that likely to happen at Georgetown in terms of Ewing leaving? And what do you think about his successor? Yeah, I'm interested in seeing if uh, there will be a, a much smoother exit at Georgetown between Patrick Ewing and the administration than, say, the, the clunky exit yesterday uh, when it came to Beheim and Syracuse. And, and speaking of replacing legends, Georgetown has had a very difficult time replacing the legendary John Thompson. They had Craig Escherich initially, then they went to JT3, John Thompson's kid, and he had a little bit of success there before that floundered. And Patrick Ewing won the Big East tournament with his team a couple of years ago, and they have been awful since, uh, unable to, uh, to put together the kind of team that you associate with Georgetown. I wonder if the administration is thinking of going outside the Georgetown family for the first time in a while. I'd recommend it because uh, I think they need a little bit of help, and I think the Georgetown name still means something. I think the location of Georgetown in Washington, D.C. is important, and you mentioned Mike Bray. He'd be a perfect coach if that's what he wants to do because he was a star at the Napa High School in, uh, in the Maryland area right outside uh, of Washington before he became Mike Bray. Uh, that would seem like the perfect guy who can handle the uh, the academic uh, issues that you have to deal with at Georgetown after his time at Notre Dame. He'd be back in the Big East, and uh, I think uh, he would stand for all the things that you think about when you think of Georgetown as an academic institution and as a basketball team. And I've said this, I, I think that would be a great fit, but I've said this before. I would, before I did anything, I'd call Jay Wright and find out if he wants to get back in. I just think that guy is is an amazing head coach, and, you know, he's a relatively young man. I, You know, they couldn't do wrong with Mike Bray, but I'm just saying, and I don't care who you are, I'd call Jay Wright and make sure he turned me down before I moved on. Yeah, I don't think that's that's really – I think the reason that Jay Wright left, you know, uh, we talked about this earlier, yeah. the new landscape of college basketball yeah, the, with the, the NIL and, and the transfer portal, it, it's very difficult to build continuity uh, these days. And I think uh, that's why it, it's no surprise that you're seeing some of the legends in the sport say goodbye. I, I, I think that's one of the reasons Roy Williams mm -hmm. left when he did. Mike Krzyzewski probably retired uh, last year because of it. I think that's why Jay Wright left, uh, probably why Jim Beheim is saying goodbye at Syracuse. I, I think it's a very different landscape than uh, those coaches came into the sport with. Zach, we know you're a man for all seasons, so just curious because the Cubs have won eight games without you. So what is your impression of the Well, seven-game winning streak. I don't think Team Canada But they wins. did beat Canada. Dustin told us it's it simple count. It's number it's eight. It's not a Cactus League game, so he won't count. Aside from technicality, Zach, how impressed have you been with the Cubs' uh, spring training performance so far? How can you not be impressed? I think there was a noticeable buzz when I went to Cubs convention 
because of the signings of players that you've heard about, guys with championship pedigree. And when you combine those veteran players, and you know who they are, Bellinger and Dansby Swanson and Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer and company, and you take those guys and you formed them together with the nucleus that began to to show some signs during the second half of last season. It's exciting. I, I think there's a belief both with the Cubs and in Milwaukee that St. Louis might not be the powerhouse that the Cardinals are made out to be. And yeah, they're the top dog, I think, heading into the season. But the, there's a belief that the, the division is there for the taking if the Cubs get off to a hot start, uh, especially because you can add at the trading deadline this is a nice way to, to get people believing you're playing baseball the right way. Wins matter. I, I think you're developing a culture of winning, and that to me is important. But ultimately, you know, the bullpen is still something that you don't know how long it's going to take to form, even though the Cubs have done a good job over the last few years of putting together quality bullpens, no matter who they've got in the pen. And then how does the, the, how does the starting pitching kind of uh, materialize here until Kyle Hendricks gets healthy? What does the back end of the rotation look like? But how can you not be excited, especially after the last year and a half and the kind of baseball that Cubs fans have had to watch? Uh, the, the fact that you know you're, you're in it heading into the season, that, that's got to get you juiced up a little bit. Zach, you're the best. We, uh, we love talking to you. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Zach. Coming on. Take it easy, guys. Thank you. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.